What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in or this is the first one you're hearing, our goal here is simple. It's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit smarter, more effective, and more efficient. Our guest today is Jason Kling, a firefighter that now works for the Johnson Grimes Metropolitan Fire District outside Des Moines, Iowa. Although the rescue that we're going to be talking about today occurred when he was at the Indianola Fire Department, which is about 12 miles south of Des Moines. And we're fortunate enough to hear his powerful story so that we can all learn from his experience. Thank you for coming on today, Jason. We appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Well, the pleasure's mine. Uh, Jason, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your experience, and then your department at the time, Indianola Fire Department? Um, I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, I've been I've been in the fire and EMS service for about roughly 24 years now, um, part time and full time at various different places. I started out in 1998 as a volunteer at the Indianola Fire Department and went through my EMTB, EMTI 85, went through my paramedic and got done with my paramedic 2002, did all the fire one, fire two and your awareness and ops for hazmat like in the 1999 and I continued to work at the Inouye you know, Fire Department as a as a volunteer for a few years, and then mainly part time up until about 2009. Um, and so they ran a lot of fire stuff down there in the EMS uh, part time. Uh, primarily at the time, I was running a lot of EMS. Really, wasn't a lot of full time fire jobs. Um, so, and I, like I said, I, I did a lot of uh, part time EMS or full time EMS, part time fire. And then I kind of left the fire service for a few years. Worked in the ER, uh, county ER called Broadlands. And I was there from full-time from like uh, 07 to 15. Uh, and I started there part-time in 03. Um, and I left I left the lawns in 15 because I really, the old, the old thing I wanted to do when I started this career is I want to be a full-time firefighter. So it just kept itching and itching and itching. So 15 I left, went to Windsor Heights Fire Department, uh, became a duty officer there on third shift. I was there for a couple years. And you had an opening and it was like a $30,000 pay increase. So I'm like, Sign me up, sure, no problem. <laughs> so I went down there. Yeah. So I was like, that was 2018. I felt bad for leaving Windsor. Those guys were great. Uh, we had a great, I, I built myself and this guy named Jeff Price. We built a great culture there on our shift. Um, we'd have uh, POCs in there until like 11 o'clock at night training and learning stuff. So we built a great culture. It was really nice. And so I went down to Indianola in 18. And then I was in Indianola in 2018. And at the same time, I started teaching at uh, D, uh, Des Moines Area Community College, so DMAC. I helped out the paramedic program and they pulled me. I kept getting pushed and called and got pushed over to the fireside. I started helping out uh, Brent Conklin at DMAC on the fireside. And then around that same time, 2018, 19 is when I met uh, Ty Wheeler from Rogue Training Consulting. Him and his brother, Ryan Wheeler, they got me involved with Rogue and asked me to be a cottery member. And that was a great thing for me. Um, it helped me grow as a firefighter, helped me grow knowledge-wise skills and ability. Um, and that same time, I was also working a couple other part-time jobs. I was like Norwalk part-time fire department, went Altoona part-time fire department. Um, and then I went part-time Johnson Grimes fire department and all this span of like from 18 until up until this last year's 2023. And like this last couple of years, um, I've been at Sailor Township fire department volunteer uh, part-time. And then I've been full-time finally at Johnson Grimes Metro Fire District uh, effective uh, this year, which has been really good. So. And obviously still teaching at DMAC and teaching with uh, Rogue Training Consulting. Perfect. You've uh, that, That's quite the story right there. How many departments is that? Have we been <laughs> keeping track? That's got to be like what? six or seven departments. Yeah, I, gotta, I think I need to make an Excel spreadsheet to kind of keep track of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about kind of the first alarm assignment um, at Indian Oil Fire Department at the time? And and when did this happen? What year was this? So this happened, the call <clears throat> actually came out on November 17th, 2021 um, at 2006, uh, 100 hours. So eight, eight o'clock at night. Um, the response model at the time it was very difficult because we only had four full timers uh, on shift at, uh, every third day, so twenty four forty eights, and we supplemented during the day with usually two part timers. Whether it be a lot of times the part timers are just EMS only. Obviously, like a lot of fire departments, we were on like 85-90% EMS calls. That's just how it is. Now this department again, I grew up in Enola when I we moved there when I was ten. I went to elementary school there. Went to middle school there, went to junior high there, went to high school. I was a lifeguard at the pool there. You know, I taught swimming lessons at the pool since I was 12. And that was like my hometown. So, and I guess also the fire department where I started at. So I went back there in 2018, went full-time there. Um, but at the time that the this the this call happened, um, it was going through a lot of growth, a lot of changes, and a lot of difficult growth. Uh, we only had four on at night. So after 5 p.m., there was only four full-timers on at night. Hopefully, if no one was sick or injured or anything like that, that particular night, um, we want to talk about like our first alarms, or whatever. First alarm was like whatever, whatever call comes in. It could be a brush fire, it could be a dumpster fire, or it could be a residential structure fire. It could be an ammonia leak. It could be a cardiac arrest. Whatever tone, whatever call drops, that's you jump rigs, you jump from apparatus to apparatus, and you take the call as they come in. Um, so. It could be anywhere from two people on an engine to four people, if you're lucky, to maybe six during the day. So it's, and the problem is there's the all mutual aid was anywhere from five, 10 to 15 minutes away. And a lot, almost all the mutual aid that comes in is all volunteer showing up from home, going to their fire station, getting their gear, getting on their apparatus and then responding. So you're looking at a lot of time from initial call to arriving on scene from, for, from those other departments. And they put in, they put in a lot of work, they show up and they do work. So. Okay, so that 5 to 10 to 15 for mutual aid might be more like 10 to 15 to 20. We got because now we oh, got yeah. guys coming from their house to the stations and now they got to come to the fire scene as well. So you're going to be operating by yourself for, for quite some time here, potentially, right? Oh, yeah, 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes. So you're looking at least 20, 25 minutes before someone else arrives on scene at a, at a that's that's your basic. Yeah. Okay. So we're in Iowa. It's November. It's starting to get cold or maybe it's relatively cold out. It's dark at that time of year. Tell me a little bit about what this came in as the, what this came in as as far as dispatch, uh, what you guys saw on your arrival and then kind of paint a picture and walk me through this rescue. Um, so we got, so it's about 8, 8 PM at night, 2006 hours. Um, I was on second out. So there's four of us on shift that day. And usually me and another guy, we, we took turns every other shift of being the primary head engineer that day. So you took care of what you were, the, took care of all engineer positions and all the engine on all the engines, the apparatus and whatnot. And if any fire call came out, if you're in house, you were the engineer and then someone else was the backup if you weren't in house. So, so the, the, the first two guys took off. Um, they got banged out on a medical like 15 minutes prior to that. And we have a lot of frequent flyers. We have a lot of frequent flyers, you know, because it's so far out from the hospital that a lot of people, there's just not any other sometimes transportation. They got banged out on medical. We heard them going around to the hospital. Then all of a sudden we get banged out for a residential structure fire with a male occupant outside with severe burns to his head, hands and face. 
um, stating that his wife is still inside. Um, and I look over at my partner at the time. We're sitting, the, you know, it's eight o'clock at night. We're kind of trying to chill out, relax. You know, we're sucking out for medical or fire, whatever comes in. And I look over at my partner. And the thing is, we're kind of a tough position right off the bat because my partner was on duty with three broken fingers. He had his finger smashed in a, in a car door two weeks prior on a car on an MVC rollover, whereas the car's on the side, the car came down and slammed and slammed his fingers in the door. So not only was he on light duty, he actually kind of shouldn't have even been there because yeah, he could drive the ambulance or he could drive something, you know, to, to that's, that's what it was during some medical calls. At least he could drive the ambulance. Well, I look over at him as the tones drop and the call comes out and I'm like, we're going, man, we're going in. That's it. We're going in. There's a victim inside. We're going. And I'm like, I was just, I was full blown, boom, work mode. We're after it. Um, we get over to the engine. We jump in again. My mindset for that day, it's already, I'm the engineer. That's just how it is. So I'm jumping in the driver's seat. He jumps in the officer's seat. We go on route, just the two of us in the engine, just two of us in the city engine, bust out the door, start heading down the road. Um, and I look over and my partner, Ted, he's on the microphone and he is slowly ripping the, ripping off the, uh, the bandages on his three fingers. His fingers are still bandaged. He ripped the bandages off of his teeth and trying to talk on the radio. Um, and it's less than the, the call came out less than a mile from the firehouse. So it was one block North and about seven or eight blocks to the West. And I heard the address. It was seven one West Boston. Well, I grew up on Ashland on West Ashland, eight one West Ashland was the house. I was in junior high and high school. So it was literally one block up and one block and one block over. So I kind of had a general idea where the house was. Um, as we get, as we were rolling down the road, just him, him and I, we're kind of communicating on what's going to happen. I said, Hey, when you get there, go ahead and I'll, I'll throw it, I'll, I'll throw it in a, and I'll put it in park. I'll put it in pump gear. You get a line stretch to the door. I'll get, I'll get out. I'll get a pack on. I'll get packed out. I'll go get report, find out what we're doing, find out where the victim's at. So we pull up on scene. Oh, is this where I want to go at this point? Just keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're doing beautiful, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, do you want me to play the audio of the dispatch? Yeah. If you got it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ending all uh, fire and EMS, ending all law enforcement needed for a house fire at 701 West Boston Avenue. The male that lives there is outside with Burns, is yelling that his wife is still inside the home. 701 West Boston, WQIG 970-2006. So that's what we were dispatched for. And right when that drops, again, I look over my partner, I'm like, it's us, it's you and me, it's John Wayne time, man, we're going. Let's, we got, we got, this is, this, this is it. So we start bouncing on the road. Like I said, he's ripping off his bandages with his teeth, trying to talk on the radio. We pull up to this house um, as well. Before we pull up, we're in route and we get some more information from dispatch. Now, some of this, oh, this audio, audio I got, I got the, some of this audio I got after the fact. So there is a law side for radio and there's fire side for radio. So we don't hear, listen to, to all the law stuff because otherwise it jam up all the traffic. But um, fire dis dispatch, it's the same dispatch person. And so she's listening to law enforcement and then also talking back and forth law enforcement fire two separate channels. And so this was after the fact, and I want to play the what law enforcement stated when they got on scene. By the fire department, there is an individual still in the house. Owner of the home is advising, likely in the main uh main bedroom. My main bedroom, do you mean main floor or upper level? 
it's a one-story house. It's going to be in the main bedroom. I'm standing by in the area where they think that she is. Law enforcement on scene is advising it is a one-story. There is one homeowner still inside in the main bedroom on the main level. So that's the that last is part is what we got in our update as we're rolling down the road. And again, we're six or seven blocks from the station. We roll up, and this streets that it's there's it's an older it's an older city. Some of the street lights are kind of certain streets are a little dimmer than others. Um, we roll up and we see heavy fire blowing out the Alpha Delta corner of the house. Um, heavy fire blowing out the Alpha Delta corner of the house, and uh. It's hidden behind of a bunch of bushes. Um, when we roll up, we 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 roll up. We see the Bravo side, and the Bravo side, Bravo Alpha door side is open. There's heavy fire and smoke blowing out that door that's already open on the Bravo side. It looks like there's a little short porch there. So we pull up. We pull past. I I, I, I pull up. We pull, pull past. Pull past, and uh, we see heavy fire coming out the Alpha Delta window, which would be like the main picture window for the living room. And then we can also see heavy fire blowing out the Delta Alpha window, which is also part of the living room. The front door sits right in the center of it, and it has one of those kind of half moon uh, glass plates in on the door. That's broken out, and fire's licking up out of that. So we pull up, um, pop the air brake. I get out. One of the one of the police officers on scene immediately starts coming up to my partner, who is obviously sitting in the officer's seat, starts giving report, and I start eyeballing like, "Hey, no, me, me. You need to come talk to me right here. Come talk to me." As I'm doing that, I have him come talk to me because Ted's trying to, he's trying to, he's pulling the line, getting the cross leg pulled off, stretched out to the side door uh, because we found out as uh, the law enforcement was telling us they couldn't get in through the alpha door. They couldn't get in through the front door. They they kicked it and kicked it and kicked it and pushed it and pushed it. They could not get through it. The door wouldn't even move. So then they're around the Bravo side is where the male occupant, the husband was, was, was out. There's two law enforcement officers on scene. And the male occupant was still trying to get back in the house. He was screaming, oh, my wife's inside. She's inside. She's inside. So I get a report from the first officer. I grab, I grab a pack out of the back. I'm walking up, putting my pack on, turn my air bottle on, get my mask all ready to go. And I'm at the Bravo door. And I'm trying to get report. I'm trying to get like an idea of like, where is this victim? Because again, reports as we're rolling up, reports is it's a single story home. Mm -hmm. And there's just you no know, bedroom on the main floor. And all of a sudden I look at the husband. The husband was trying to get back in the house and the law enforcement officer, I can't remember. I feel bad. I can't remember. There were two great cops on scene. I can't remember the names. Kudos to them. They worked so hard on the scene. Um, the, they, they had to kind of, in essence, kind of, in essence, for the most part, kind of restrain him from going back in. So he was trying to fight to get back in this, this Bravo door in the kitchen that were heavy fire and smoke is pushing through the kitchen and coming, licking out, um, licking out the top of the door frame. Um, he goes, she's inside, she's inside. It's through the kitchen and up the stairs. Through the kitchen, in the living room, and up the stairs. And at that point, my brain just goes, what? Up the stairs? What stairs? And I'm like, oh, so now it's a two-story. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I'm like, all right, that's no, we're still going in. And like, I look over at my partner, Ted. I'm like, Char, I need water, water, water. I'm, you know, spinning my hand. We're having some issues at the pump. There's some issues at the pump. Can't get the line charged. All of a sudden, the line gets charged. I mask up. Um, and the, the kitchen, you could, you can kind of duck walk through it. Like it wasn't bad. Like you could duck walk through with the hose line. So I duck walk through with the hose line right up to that edge of the living room. And the living room is the fire conditions were so was at the point, like it was, it wanted to get to that point where it's ready to flash, but it wasn't, it wasn't quote, 
true full involvement yet of the living room, but it was, you give it about another three minutes and it would have been. So I, as I'm pushing through the kitchen, I could see stairs in the kitchen. They went three or four stairs, maybe five stairs, went downstairs to a basement. And then as I push in the living room, I start hitting the living room, hitting the living room, hitting around, try to hit as much. I mean, it looked like pretty much everything's on fire. Like there's a huge bulk of fire right where the front door is at, where the main bulk of the fire was, right where the front door is. So the alpha door inside the living room. Um, so you get your alpha delta corner um, of the living room where there's a picture window on the alpha side. There's a window on the delta side. And that front door, there's majority of the bulk of the fire is right there. And you can see it's kind of it's kind of taking over the ceiling. It's dropping fire throughout the rest of the room. And just adjacent, or not adjacent, but like uh, opposite of the front door are the stairs uh, on the on the face going up to the trolley side of where I need to go. I could see I could see one or two stairs of the of the actual stairs. That's it. So I hit it, hit it, hit it for about five or five to eight seconds. It didn't seem like very long, but I'm like I just need to get a knock on it so I could get up the stairs because she kept saying she's up the stairs in her bedroom to the left. I'm like, okay, that should be really easy. This seems like a small house. I should be able to zip up there, grab her, and get out. So I start zipping up the stairs, and by the time I hit, like, the four, third or fourth stair, like, my ears were getting hot. I couldn't see. By the time I made the top of the landing, thick it was thick, charged, heavy black smoke all the way down to the floor. Like, you saw nothing. Um, so um, as you hit the top of the stairs, there's, like, kind of a wall in front of you. I knew you to go left, so I'm hustling as hard as I can, tripod positioning, moving my way through it, moving quickly. Again, I don't, I didn't have a tool, not searching with the tool, hose line. I pulled the hose, before I went up, I pulled the hose line back into the kitchen because instinctual, instinctual, like, you know, this fear of like, oh, you know, firefighters have died because their hose lines got burned through. So in my brain, like instinctual, I pulled the hose line from the, from the living room back in the kitchen. kitchen. So it's set it there. So it's safe. Cause I don't, I don't know what Ted, I don't know what my partner's doing outside because he's trying to function what he can on the outside assignments. So anyway, make make the stairs, hit that top landing, and it's just thick, dark, charged smoke all the way down to the floor. Start to head left, and I just start running into clothes and weird furniture. Like it's, and I quickly realized this is like a hoarder house. This is just stuff piled up in the hallways, piled up here, piled up here. So I kind of keep moving left. It's quickly, 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 um, pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, knee up tripod moving through and all of a sudden i find it i found a door frame move into it i found like a vanity of uh, like a sink so i'm like okay it's the bathroom move over a little bit find the toilet my hand my hand goes right in the toilet I'm like okay cool toilet water found that and then the bathtub's right there i'm like okay so bathtub so i get in the bathtub and this is all you know it, it's happening slow but fast like in your brain and you're moving pretty quick so in the bathtub and i start feeling that wall behind the bathtub I'm like because i'm like in my brain i'm like i need to know if there's a window here or not is there a window here feel the bathroom no window feel around the next part of the the other part of the bathroom wall no window no victim come out and then i immediately take a hard left and it's probably maybe a foot two feet and all of a sudden i find another door frame and then i find a door well i can only and i go to push the door open and it would only open it was only open like a foot and a half well then i couldn't close it either and i looked down and i had maybe a half a foot to three quarters of a foot of clean, uh, clean site, uh, that with the neutral plane. Yep. And it was just, just, just so much stuff. Like, it's like, I can't describe it. And I'm not trying to say this in a, in a, in a bad way, but it's like Goodwill, like exploded on there. Like it's just stuff everywhere. It was just, um, so I right inside the right inside the door there, move into the bedroom, 
found the vanity and then I found the edge of the bed. It took me a second to find the edge of the bed because I couldn't tell where stuff was at. There's so much stuff. And I bump into the bed frame and I bump into the, the edge of the bed and I get up on the bed and I think there's like maybe six to eight comforters on this thing. I don't know how many blankets were in here, but there's a lot of blankets and clothes. And and I look in retrospect, looking back and 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 sharing this experience with people, the best way to describe this bed was like all the search classes you took or you've taken where they go and they bring as many clothes as possible to put in a room to search. And so you have to sift through it. This was that scenario, 100%. So sifting through this, sifting through this fire department, fire department, is there anybody in here? Are you in your fire department? Didn't find anything on the bed. Find the Bravo wall, reach down behind the Bravo wall on the bed, feeling, feeling, feeling nothing, feel up against the Bravo wall. And all of a sudden I, my hand falls through something and my whole, my arm, my shoulder goes through and I realize it's the window. I'm like, oh, so I feel up and realize, well, the window's intact. I'm like, oh, the window's just open because oh, maybe it was hot in there. She had the window open, it was cool or whatever. The window's open. I'm like, oh, okay. Great. And so then I get out of the out of that and I start searching against the Charlie wall. And it's a dresser just full of stuff. And then again, I'm I'm you're tripping all you're getting caught up. It's like caught up in all these clothes, caught up in all this, all this clothing, all these blankets. It's like it's it's like it's trying to wrestle you and take you down because you got all your gear on. You're hot. I'm already worn out. I'm tired. I'm pushing through this. And I keep getting it's like you're getting dragged down like in a quagmire or like a like quicksand or something, all these clothes. And all of a sudden, I come across all these tubs and all these tubs are just feeling all this stuff. And it's just stuff and stuff and stuff. And I'm like, okay, she's not in here. I'm like, and I've probably been in that room. You know, in your brain, it's like 30 seconds. Reality may, may, you may have thought of been five minutes. But it might have been like a minute and a half, two minutes going through this. I mean, I was trying to search it quickly and as, as proficiently and dirty, but, but proficiently as possible. But there's just so much stuff. And also, okay, she's not in here. So I got to, where is she at? Where is she at? She's not in here. So I get out of that room and I get back in that little little tiny hallway vestibule area of the stairs, of the top of the stairs. I look over where the stairwell, where the stairs, I when my brain where I know it should be. And instead of thick black smoke to where it used to be, now it's like a giant blowtorch. The whole stairwell is, it looked like a cartoon or something out of some rad training video you see, where it's like the, the entire stairwell is just lit off. All that thick black smoke has just now got the perfect combination of heat, fuel, and oxygen. And it is just a blowtorch. And I'm like, okay, my brain's spinning, spinning, spinning. What are my options? Well, I can go in the bathroom and shut the door, and that'll be my graveyard because there's no window in there. My partner's outside. Um, no more water's being put on the fire. He's trying to do what he can for outside uh, outside uh, tasks, trying to get done. I'm like, well, I'm not going to the bathroom. I don't, I'm not dying right now. I'm, this, is, this is not where I'm going to die. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, my next option is, okay, her bedroom. Get her bedroom, shut the door, isolate myself. Well, no, her door doesn't shut. I just I just figured that out. Her door won't shut because of all the stuff. I can't open anymore. I can't close the door anymore. I'm like, oh, I go hang out the window. I'm like, I can't hang out the window. I'll hang out the window. I'm going to fall, you know, a story and a half, two stories, hurt myself. And there'll be two of us on the fire ground. They're out of commission in essence because, you know, they can't do stuff. I'm like, and I don't know if he can throw a light or not. And this is all stuff that's zipping through your brain, through your brain, you know, super fast milliseconds, lightning speed, like, you know, light speed from Star Wars or something, you know, it's just so fast. And I'm like, okay, you know what? No, she's still in here. I'm not leaving. We're not done. I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm not going to her room. I'm not going to hang out the window. She's still in here. We have to find her. And I keep saying we, but it was me. 
I'm like, all right, at this point, I'm like, yo, my only option, I need the hose line. I need that hose line. So I look, I kind of quickly look at the stairs and I got on my belly and I belly slid down those stairs like some little kid, five rolled on a piece of cardboard and slid down that. And I could feel my ears tingling, my back of my neck's tingling, my wrists are tingling. And I knew I was getting a lot of fire impingement. Slid all the way down the stairs, scooted in the back of the kitchen, grabbed the hose line. And I just hit that living room as much, as much as I could. Hit it, hit it, hit it. Maybe another five to 10 seconds. There was no concept of time at that point. Like literally no concept of time because your mind is just where you're at. Like heavy fire, heavy heat, you're exhausted. There's still someone in here that needs you. So I dropped the line. I head back up the stairs. Sorry. <clears throat> head back up the stairs as quick as I could. Go to the go to the right where the, I, assume, I assume the other bedroom's at. I get in there about two or three feet and I find, I see a pair of feet sit staring right at me. And I see the legs. And the way I can describe this is like when you're roasting marshmallows and you get that marshmallow right to that point where it's like that kind of light to dark brown. It's got that good kind of flavor to it, kind of that color. That's how her legs were. It wasn't burnt, burnt, but like they were that dark brown. And I'm like, and and I assume she was Caucasian just because we're in, you know, and I don't want to say that. Let's just I assume because it's a, the husband was and I'm just assuming that. And at the bottoms of her feet were were, were very white. And I'm like, okay, she's burnt. She is burnt. And so I start moving up her legs. And the image of her won't, it's like a movie reel. It's like it's like one of those core memories that won't leave your brain ever. Um, I remember seeing her, her boxer shorts she was wearing were stripes, baby blue and white, maybe a quarter inch stripes, uh, vertical stripes. And they were old, old, old worn out boxer shorts. And I move up and she had this bright pink t-shirt on. And it reminded me of a t-shirt that you would find left over from like the eighties back when hyper color or neon colors were like <laughs> the thing. It was, yeah, it was like this bright pink neon shirt. And then I move up, I move up her chest. I move up her chest and I get to her head and she, again, she's laying supine. Her feet are facing the door. I just came in. Her head is facing into the, into the, the room itself. And this room is cooler. This room's a lot cooler. And in my brain, I could only assume the window's not open in this room versus the other, the window is open in the other room. Um, I move up to her head. Her face is has, has suffered severe heat and burns. Her lips were already puffy. Her eyes were puffy. Her face was puffy. Hair was already burnt. Um, and instinctually, and I'm and this is fast. Moving up her, search around her, get her, get a hold. I'm like right on top of her, search around her head, search around. I know she was the only one in there. The husband says she was the only one in there. It's the only two of them that, that lived there. That's, I mean, that was known going into it because that's what you said. But still instinctually, all the times you train and train and train and train, all the times you practice, you train and you practice for the what ifs because we're the what if department. No one knows what to do. They call the what if department. It's called the fire department. We show up. So I instinctually like searched all around or swimming around to make sure there wasn't anybody else, like whether it be an animal or another person or something, there was nothing. And this is something that's at this point kind of sticks in my brain that I love, that I want to share is that. I'm like, I'm like, how am I going to get out of here? How am I going to get her out of here? How am I, what, what am I going to do? And every single video and picture from like Essentials Ipsta 4 went through my brain of like, oh, you can do a webbing drag. Get your webbing out and you can do this, 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 that, and the other and make this cool little harness. Oh, if you grab by underneath the armpits and do this weird like, you know, pretzel roll type thing and put them up over your shoulders, you can carry them out. Oh, if you grab by this wrist and you do this wrist lock and pull them up really high and carry them down the stairs. I'm like, and all that went through my head like, super fast i'm like no no no. and instinctually i'm like nope grab your leg flip the one leg over the other 
did a did a dirty uh, did a leg lock grabbed her and just started moving it was just like as soon as i found her all that's going through my head and this is like you know maybe a second two seconds searched around her came back down grabbed her legs scooped her up locked her legs in really really tight in my armpit and got on my side and i just started pushing and pushing pushing out that room pushed all the way down the stairs at that at that point as we're making down the stairs i realized you know i keep hitting this damn fire in the living room but like i'm not hitting it long enough because it's just all lighting back off again so making it down those stairs it just like it just took back off again um get into the kitchen once i got downstairs in the kitchen i switched from uh the leg lock or the armpit um to i switched to a double a double under under each both legs and i was able to stand up because the, the kitchen was a lot more tenable um and as i stood up and i started to pull her um uh, pull her out in a double leg lock um and had her obviously her head was down on the ground down on the ground legs are up head and head and feast head and head and shoulders to the ground i kind of turned around her side as i'm pulling all of a sudden she started to cough she started to cough so she started coughing this brown stuff started coming up in my head i'm like awesome awesome great and well i do need to pause because before all that when we're upstairs and we're upstairs in the room i don't want to i feel bad pausing the story um uh but when, uh, when i when i find her I am exhausted. Like I am, I am, I am, I'm just, I'm just exhausted at this point. And I find her and something I didn't share earlier. There's so much radio traffic happening that I want to make sure I bring this point up because it's a huge thing that needs to be thought of. And wherever you're at, whether you're listening to this or you've been in an environment or something you look out for is the tones always went out on this channel called fire one channel. So it got paged out on that channel and then people talked on that channel immediately to like wherever they're going. So if you're going out to the hospital, you're on that channel, right on the fire scene, give your size of reports on that channel. They finally started going to TAC channels. When we were out, we wanted a TAC channel. So we went to TAC 4. Unfortunately, everyone that got tripped out for mutual aid, they went, they went in route and acknowledged the page on Fire 1 channel that immediately went to TAC 4. So as I'm in this house the whole time, I'm hearing on the TAC channel, I'm hearing radio traffic from all these mutual aid departments. Hey, you're going to grab this truck. Hey, can you grab a packet out of there? Hey, grab my gear. I'll meet you there. And I'm hearing all this traffic. And I'm also hearing traffic from my chief who's coming from home on the TAC channel. And none of these people are on the fire ground. And all I really want to do is communicate to dispatch Batch and, my, and, my and my partner outside of what the hell is going on inside and what I'm going through. I'm like, and to me, it was very frustrating. And so a couple of times I tried to call out for emergency traffic and every single time I went to keep my mic, it was like everybody else was talking on the fire ground attack channel and none of them were there. So finally I found her and I made it and I made it to her. And that's why I was able to play like a, I got some, another clip I'll play real quick. And so here's the other clip, uh, audio clip. Let me get to it. Okay. I was exhausted. I don't know how we could hear that, but like, I was like, I was, I was done. Like I was, I was physically worn out. I was psychologically worn out. I was mentally worn out. I was also frustrated because I couldn't communicate and get out what I needed to on the radio. Um, and again, it was just, I was just, I was exhausted. So here's a couple more audio clips I was able to save. Well, pick him out of the fire, needing medics now. Uh, 
They've pulled a victim out of the fire at 507 North Kenwood, and they are needing that ambulance ASAP. I need that medic to the right here in the front. I hear this train in the front. So, the pickup, kind of pick up where I left off of coming through the kitchen. Uh, made it through the kitchen, made it out that Bravo door onto like this little flat porch area. One of the officers, and I, I just feel so bad that I can't remember the two officers' names that are on scene because they worked very hard on scene for us. They did a great job. Um, the one the one police officer said, hey, Kling, what do you need? What do you need, Kling? I'm like, I need you to grab your partner and get her to Ted on the front yard for medical care. I've got to go back in and put this fire out. So I watched both of the officers um, try to grab the grab the victim. And again, so this is something we know in the fire service. We've, we've, we've trained on, we've seen it, we've heard about it. For those that have had to deal with burn victims before, um, she was slippery. Like she'd been up there for quite a while. All her skin is exposed. Uh, the fat mo the fat molecules start to break down, all sweaty. So they try to grab a hold of her, just like you know, you're you're grab a hold of the limbs, like certain books teach you to do, or old school methods of teaching teach you to do. And those guys were having a hard time just grabbing a hold of her. And finally, we're to grab a hold of her shirt and her shorts and get her out of the front yard to my partner uh, Ted out there, where they started providing medical care immediately. And at that point, I went back in and put the fire out. And after that, they to the ambulance, uh, one of our one of our ambulances showed up with two of the guys who responded from home. They took her to the heliport. Um, and this is uh, what I heard uh, after the fact is that they were uh, trying to take care of the heliport, waiting for the helicopter to land. Um, while there are certain IVs and get ready to innovate her, um, she actually sat up in the back of the ambulance and started to fight them and try to pull out, try to pull out the IV lines and whatnot. Um, they said that when they went to innovate her, that her airway was severely burned. Obviously, my guess is assumption is she, yes, she was asleep in her bedroom initially. All the heat and smoke and fire probably woke her up. She probably stood up, walked through all that stuff, probably went across the hall upstairs into her uh, husband's room to get him, and that's where she went down. That's we're assuming. We we found out the from interviewing the husband that he was actually downstairs on the first floor on the couch when all this happened. So they took off the heliport. I went back in and put the fire out. Um, other units started to arrive on scene, and uh. At this point, oh, this is, yeah. So the thing is, too, is that my partner and I, we're also IC. We're also command. Like, um, when, uh, oh, um, she got flown off. So immediately from the helicopter, she got flown off from, the patient got victim, the victim got flown off from the heliport from Indianola, which just saw the one, all the way to Iowa City. Um, that's where the burn unit is in, for the state. So if you have severe burns, you get immediately flown to Iowa City, and that's where you're going. And she... Unfortunately, she uh, only lived for about another two and a half weeks. But we found out from talking to some friends of the family that, uh, sorry, it gave oh. them uh, gave them the opportunity to hold her, to touch her, and say goodbye. So we again, we do the best we can. It's it's, it's, it's really out of our hands of whether people make it or they don't. Um, she had locks stacked against but, her. So you had one firefighter going inside for this fire. You had advanced fire conditions. 
you had an inability to communicate with the one other firefighter that was on scene because everyone else was jamming up the radio and was bonking you. Um, there were near hoarding conditions in there. There were multiple vent points when you guys arrived with windows and doors uh, being opened initially. So she had a lot stacked against her from the get-go. So kudos to you. This is an incredibly powerful testimony um, and giving that family, like you said, some closure, the ability to say goodbye. I, I, it's That's something, obviously, this is the outcome that we wanted, but this is better than it otherwise could have been. And and 100% of that, um, and, and to the cops and, and your other firefighter on scene and the, and the medics and the flight crew and everybody else as well. But but really, when the shit was hitting the fan, it was you that gave her that opportunity. You were the only one inside that structure. So I don't know many firefighters that wouldn't have been able to do what you did. That was an incredibly powerful story as you told that. Um, but there's a lot to take away from this. Uh, and, and I want to get your perspective on this. But uh I can see Jason right now. I know when people are listening to this, they're not going to be able to see him, but, but Jason's a beefcake and Jason is exhausted at this thing. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, you know, how big she was and, and where physical fitness played a factor in this? If you were in worse shape, would this have ended up the same way or could it have gone differently? Like just talk a little bit about that because that's a, uh, a thread that we see throughout most of these is that physical fitness seems to have a, a pretty important uh seat at the table for this um no physical fitness is key it's i if i wasn't in the condition i was in um there's no way that would happen i was i was you already you know your adrenaline's already pumped up you're already you know doing all this stuff initially you're pulling a hose line of house you're already hitting heat high heat conditions you're putting water on fire you're going upstairs now you're trying to search and tr in essence trudge through you know hoarding conditions getting tripped up on clothes getting hung up on this Heat's hitting you, searching through, in essence, like the worst scenario rooms you could have set up in any type of environment, and the per the victim not even being there. Um, I work out on my days off. I work out on shift. Um, we do. Uh, she was probably I was about to say she was probably maybe two forty. Um, and I mean she wasn't a big big gal. Um, but she's just she's a little taller than I was, and I mean I'm like five eight, so it's not like I'm short. Um, but she's about my height or taller. Um, it's about, about the same size, like 240. I'm like 220. Um, but you know, she was she was solid. I mean, she wasn't obviously with nothing bad, it's just a bigger person. Yeah. And I know that if I didn't work out and train the way I train, whether it be the weight training I do or the cardio I do, and it really it is, it's the fire fire, like I call it like fire fitness, like you know, flipping tires, sled drags, you know, dragging while moving, uh time under tension the fire ground functional fitness like you think about everything you do on the fire ground that's how you need to train and also that hard and fast and that rapid because everything that thing that happened on this call happened under probably 10 minutes you know 10 15 minutes max and that's a lot of work so we when you're working out you need to train like i i think it's i'm not a fighter person but i know like what fighters train three times the amount of time for the time they're going to be in the ring in essence, we need to train train harder and train harder so that way when it comes time to work, we can work easier and we can rise above it. Just like, I don't know, I'm kind of getting lost in the weeds on myself on this point. Sorry about that. 
No, um, I think you did a good job of 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 just stating how how important that that fitness was, and, it, and if you uh, take fitnesses seriously, and, and we're able to realize in that moment, like I am fucking exhausted right now. Um, understandable because you're doing everything by yourself, and, and no disrespect to to the other guys uh, that were on scene, but literally you are doing everything by yourself at this fire. There's something else very interesting that I thought you'd mentioned a couple times or at least alluded to. And I thought you had a really good description of, of this kind of concept and that that's been demonstrated over and over and over again in, in multiple different domains is just temporal distortion. Can you just real briefly talk about how time felt inside there? I think you did a pretty good job uh, as you were kind of peppering your story with this, but like, just stepping back, can you talk a little bit about that and what that did to your mindset and everything else inside the fire? Um, that's how, how it, it felt like you were in three different time zones in your head, like three different speeds. Like as the best way to try, we had like this this thought process that was like, okay, this, 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 and you're looking at self almost in slow mo. Then you have stuff like going to like the the regular, the regular time as time goes on, and that doesn't seem like it's that seems like it's too fast. Then you have your brain spinning on like the 15 different directions on what possibly could happen or what you need to do that you do this, 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 that, and the other. And so it's it's almost and I describe this to people that know me. It's like a pinball machine on multiplayer ball. Like you're kind of in control of some of it, but like some <laughs> of it's coming really fast. But also some of you can see and you still have control over some of it. Um a lot of it being in control. When things go bad, and those of us that take the fire service seriously, that take this job seriously, when things go bad, we know the only thing that we fall back onto is our training. We're not going to turn into some superhero comic book. Like, you know, if this happens, I'm going to I'm gonna turn into Superman. I'm going to go blah, 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 blah. No, you're only going to do that as if you train that way. And this is a perfect situation is of everything that kind of happened in this, in this fire – and in this rescue is that the department I was at, the training and training culture was not what I wanted. It wasn't what I felt was needed. It wasn't me. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And people say that I'm reckless or that I'm aggressive. I'm like, there's a huge difference between reckless and aggressive. Aggressive is thought out, is research, it's experienced, it's training, it is practice, it is critical thinking. Reckless is just reckless. So there's passion and aggression. I think those two go hand in hand together. And when you have that, never let anyone take that away from you. And so I sought out more training. I sought out more knowledge. I wanted to be in a room where I was the, the least smartest person and the least experienced person. So I did my best to surround myself outside of there at other places. So working with and being a part of Rogue, being a part of the cadre, being able to work with all these just knowledgeable and experienced firefighters, knowledgeable and skill-wise, I learned a lot of things. And all those things become instinctual. When it happens, when it actually happens, like that whole call, that whole everything just is instinctual, 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 because you train that way. You train for the worst case scenarios. Now I'll admit... I can't think of anyone's training 
mine, maybe you have Nick, maybe someone else has, where you train to do all this stuff by yourself. Like I've never, you know, some of this stuff doesn't go through your head. Like, you know, and I look back on that call, I'm like, you know, initially when it hit the room, why did I pull the hose line back into the kitchen? Um, you know, because instinctually in my brain, because I was taught muscle memory is like, well, I don't want the hose line to burn through. Well, looking back on that call, I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I just would have left the ho the nozzle in the fire room and left it at half bail and let it just flow the whole time, maybe that would have kept that fire in check. But again, then you're what if and things to death. What if, what if, what if, what if? But that's something you can take away for anyone that's on a smaller department that you're running with one, run with two, maybe run three, and you have to run the whole scene. You know, that maybe that's an option. If you're going with the hose line and you need to go get a victim, leave it rolling at half. I mean, will it work? I don't know. I, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But going back to training and physical fitness, don't let anyone take that from you. Go find it. Go find it. Go find it. Go find it. Train on it. Train on it every day. Be better. Be better because you don't know when. You just don't know when that call is going to come in or when you're going to be called upon to do what needs to be done. I think that uh, that sentiment right there is a beautiful way to kind of land this this plane right now. Um, Jason, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate your time and, and your authenticity. For everyone listening, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey so that we can all get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and want to share your experience with our listeners, please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ledeen, and we'll try to record an episode. Thank you to everyone listening to this, and everybody take care.